0: Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1, and verses 13 through 26. Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. I say be guided by the spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the spirit, and the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you wanna do. But if you are being led by the spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. The word of God for the people of God. God. Author of life, we thank you for your words. And we ask that as we reflect upon them this morning, that your spirit would be with us to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Anyone who's spent a fair amount of time studying another language knows that the act of translation is as much an art as it is a science. Depending on what one is trying to accomplish, it will alter where art and science intersect. For example, in my introductory Greek course, our professor wanted us to land pretty clearly on the science side. Even if it made our translations a little more clunky, he needed to see that we really understood the different grammatical concepts that we were dealing with. As we got to know the language better, he expected our translations to take on more art, relying less on stiff literal translations so that the sense of a passage was being more clearly and comfortably conveyed in English. And I know that this might seem like a stuffy way to start a sermon, but as we will see, our understanding of Scripture relies on how a translator tries to find that sweet spot between technical precision and stylistic art. I would venture to guess that most of you, like me, are familiar with today's passage speaking about the desires of the flesh, or perhaps if you're used to reading from the King James, the even more striking lusts of the flesh. And for relatively good reason, the most literal translation of the Greek word sarkos is indeed flesh. So clearly, if we're aiming for technical precision, this is the word that we should be using. And I think it's the absolutely right translation if we're gonna sit down and have an in-depth analysis of what Pauline theology is doing when it contrasts the spirit with the flesh. But it is kind of an odd way of talking. It seems to suggest to our modern ears that our flesh, or in other words, our created being, is bad. It seems to lead us to see a separation between the bodies that we live in and the image of God in which we are created. And this is why I so deeply appreciate the translation that we heard today from the Common English Bible. Rather than being technically precise, the translators have tried to find an English word that really gets at what the sense of Paul is trying to say because obviously Paul isn't telling us that our flesh, our bodies, are bad. For him to do so would contradict the greater scriptural tradition of the goodness of God's creation. So instead, these translators recognize that what Paul is truly saying is that our selfish desires are opposed to the Spirit. The selfish desires that that Paul refers to as the uh, desires of the flesh are born out of an attitude that puts our own well-being first, no matter the cost to others. It's born out of a sense of individualism that says, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make sure that I get mine. And if we look at the actions that Paul says result from the selfish desires, we start to see pretty quickly how this is the case fighting, losing your temper, conflict, competitive opposition, rivalry, all stem from the desire to make sure that our needs come first. And when they don't, we get upset. It reminds me of when I briefly worked in retail before going to seminary. We all see the craziness of Black Friday every year. And I think all of us can agree that people getting trampled to death or shot for a discounted television is not what God intends for us. But how often do we think about the workers on Black Friday? Or how often do we think of the workers who don't get to be with their families on Thanksgiving? At the store where I worked, the policy was that the most senior employees had to work the Black Friday sales. This meant they had to come in around 3 or 4 in the morning to prepare for those early morning doorbusters. The theory here was that they had enough experience to handle the insane crush of people. This meant that newer employees, like myself, had to cover most of Thanksgiving Day in order to accommodate these bizarre schedules. So on Thanksgiving, a coworker and I were going about our task of conditioning the shelves, meaning that we were straightening them up to look nice, returning misplaced items where they belong, that sort of thing. And admittedly, this felt about as productive as sweeping off your front porch while you're watching a tornado come down the street. So we were demoralized because we didn't get to spend time with our loved ones. We were frustrated by the hopelessness of our task. And then a customer appeared at the end of our aisle where, she wanted to know, was some new kid's movie that had just come out. And did we have it on sale for as much as Walmart did? We didn't have the answer to this question. We didn't work in electronics. And so we told her that. And we told her who she could ask in electronics that would have that answer. Well, can't you go back to the back and look it up or something? No. No. We responded, we can't. They have a separate computer system. You'll have to ask them. Well, she huffed, my cousin lives in Kansas, and she was able to find it at her Walmart. Now, ignoring the fact that her cousin was half a country away, and ignoring the fact that we were not at a Walmart, we patiently directed her to the person who could answer her question. Dissatisfied with our response, this customer stormed off, threatening to tell our manager about us. As she left, my coworker muttered, what were we supposed to do? Pull an answer out of our ass? Well, the customer happened to catch this little comment. She turned back and started screaming at us about how rude we were about how she was gonna get us fired, about wait until our manager finds out. And knowing how frustrated my coworker was and knowing that the situation could only get angrier, I stepped between the two of them and told the customer to go ahead and tell our manager because they weren't happy to be working on Thanksgiving either. Now, whether my coworker was right or wrong, This whole situation boils down to the selfish desire that Paul writes about. In the eyes of this customer, we weren't human beings denied the chance to spend a holiday with the people we love. We were simply the things that were in the way of getting the sweet deal that her cousin got. And this is exactly how the selfish desires that oppose the spirit work. They focus our eyes on the things that we want. They make us forget the image of God in others. They pump up our sense of self so that there's nothing else in the world except me, me, me. The spirit, on the other hand, works to break down that self. It removes the barriers that we put up between ourselves and others. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, writes Paul, have crucified the self with its passions and desires. In other words, we move from a state of selfishness to a state of selflessness. The spirit diminishes the infantile voice in our head that screams me, 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 and magnifies the other so that we never fail to see that the image of God is all around us. Who among us, regardless of political affiliation, was not moved this past week by the image of Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez, face down in a riverbank, embraced by his 23-month-old daughter, Valeria? Or who among us doesn't feel the tug on their heartstrings when we hear about five-month-old children left to sleep on concrete floors with no no soap or toothpaste to clean themselves with. That tug on our heartstring, that pulling on our souls, that is the spirit inviting us beyond ourselves to goodness and love. Paul says in verse 6 of this chapter, the only thing that counts is faith working through love all the precepts of the law, all the fancy words that we have about justification, none of it matters if it does not create within us a faith that works through love. This is the essence of Paul's letter to the Galatians. This is why Paul is so angry about the teachers who preach circumcision to the Gentiles. They do not follow the law out of a love for God, And they do not follow the law out of a love for their neighbors. They follow the law for their own sake and for their own salvation. And so what Paul continues to tell us today is that looking out for number one is never going to be a path to salvation. If we're only looking for a way out for ourselves, we're not going to find it. That motivation is contrary to the gospel. The only way we receive our salvation is to surrender to the Spirit, to practice love in the face of hate, to abide in joy in the face of sorrow, to know peace in the midst of crisis, to be kind in the face of cruelty, to be generous in a world of scarcity, to be faithful in a world of idols, to be gentle in a hard world and to control ourselves in a world of selfishness. These are the gifts of the Spirit. So let us live by the Spirit. Let us know that true freedom does not mean self-indulgence. Let us know that the freedom we have received through Christ is a freedom to serve one another in love. For the only thing that matters is faith, working through love. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Holy Spirit, fill us with the love of Christ. Free us for joyful obedience. Call us from selfishness to selflessness. Amen.